You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. History's not about the past. Or it's not just about the past. History is about us. Here and now. This room, the the electricity in this room, the social relations we have with each other, why some people are poor, why some people are rich, why some people have all the advantages, why some people don't, all of that is determined by history. The science of happiness. Appreciating modern painting. Dilemmas of modern medicine. Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War. The history of jazz. The artistic genius of Michelangelo. When intuition fails. Turning points that changed American history. The psychology of religion. The genius of Mozart. The future of humans. One Day University. The most acclaimed and popular professors from top colleges, their best lectures fascinating conversations. Hi, I'm Richard Davies. Let's learn. So history is not just about the past. History is about right now. And uh, the more we understand history in that sense, the more it can actually work for us. History isn't just supposed to be a fun story. History is... I'm Edward T. O'Donnell, and my title of my lecture is Turning Points in American History. Think about the, uh, the fight over the Confederate flag. You know, that's just not some abstract fight. That's a real issue that has a lot to do with what's going on right now in the United States. So So often history is thought of as as dates and and great leaders, usually men. Mm -hmm. You approach it a different way. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you can't get past dates. You have to know where you are in time and all, and certain people like Andrew Carnegie or Abraham Lincoln or George Washington, they're all very, very important people, but uh, history properly understood, you know, it encompasses all of society. And so I always say that the people that make history are often great leaders, but it's also often legions of nameless, faceless people that want to push for change. So millions of enslaved people saying we do not want to be slaves anymore. Millions of workers who say we don't want to work 16 hours a day. Millions of women who want the the right to vote. They, you know, we don't know most of their names, but they're the ones who organize and move history in a different direction. Some of your turning points are they huge events that we all know, or are they sometimes a little bit obscure? And then you explain why they're so important. Yeah, well, I try to peg them to events. Often I'll start with the Declaration of Independence, which is not an unknown event, obviously. But what I do is I would say it's incumbent upon me 
to make this tell you more than what you know. Not just that the Declaration of Independence gains us our independence and it's this sacred document, but what does it actually mean? So we delve into that. People are often unaware exactly what, what the document actually was. But the Declaration is essentially a declaration of war. And the first part that we love, you know, the declaration that, you know, defines all these great values, that was sort of considered fluff. The key part was the last two-thirds, where we said, we are breaking away from Great Britain for these reasons. He has, he has, he has, the king has done all these terrible things to us. He's sent troops, he's taxed us to death, he's dissolved our legislatures, he has, he has, he has. That's the key part that we need to explain to the world. But... Jefferson does put that flowery philosophical treatise at the beginning, and that, as we'll see, will have legs. It's not this great declaration of human rights, but it becomes that, and it has power decades and now centuries beyond its original creation. And that's, so we delve into how, this, you know, the, how a document like that can have a life that nobody, including Jefferson himself, could have ever expected. Yeah, talk about that, because some of that declaration is a litany of somewhat grumpy complaints against the boss, right. Right, George III of England. It's kind of interesting. When the declaration was, uh, was issued in 1776, the mo- important part was the back end, the two-thirds where it just says, he has taxed us into starvation, he has sent armies to plunder us. Today, it's just the opposite. Nobody can really remember, other than us historians, the back two-thirds about he has, he has he has, and they focus primarily on, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident and all of those beautiful statements of human rights, of universal truths and so forth. What fires you up? What keeps you going? Why do you do this? Well, I think it, it has to do with the idea that, I mean, I find history fascinating and interesting in and of itself, but I think history also has a way of helping us understand the world that we live in. If we look around us and think about what do we value in this country? We value our democracy. We value our democratic institutions. We value certain ideas about human rights and equal protection before the law and all that. You know, there's a long, long list. That's just the beginning. And I always point out that these things, it's really, history tells us these things did not fall from the sky. These things are not, you know, chiseled on a gold tablet somewhere way back when. These are things that are the product of struggle. Every generation of Americans has said to make their democracy and their republic what it is. So these, you can't take these things for granted, and that prompts one to appreciate that struggle, but also to look around and say, what are the, what are the compelling struggles right now? So unless we're aware of our past, we can't build a better present? Right. The past tells us that democracy requires work. It requires attention, requires struggle. And if we get lulled into thinking that it's a kind of a wind-up machine that was designed in the 1770s and 1780s and then just turned on and that we just live in this democracy, that is a dangerous, not only it's false, but it's a really dangerous idea about how democracy works. Are there any surprising moments in these lectures that you've given for One Day University. Absolutely. And I think a lot of what I'm doing is reminding people of stuff they've learned in the past, just sort of familiarizing them with things. And then also showing things they may not have gotten when they first encountered this history, say the Declaration of Independence, to see how powerful it is way beyond 1776, that it has this, it's a document invoked over and over again by various groups. Here's Elizabeth Cady Stanton. She forms, uh, convenes the Women's Rights Convention, 1848, Seneca Falls, New York, you know, takes the Declaration of Independence, kind of heretical, and rewrites it as a feminist manifesto, and writes right at the very beginning that all men and women are created equal. And then, of course, labor parties take it and use it. You can buy a book of 100 declarations of independence that are all rewritten in this manner. So this is the Working Men's Party, and da 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 for the full benefit of their labor, right? They change the words where they need the words changed. 
Martin Luther King in his famous I Have a Dream speech. And of course, how many of you have ever read the Declaration of Independence of Vietnam? Written in 1945 by a guy named Ho Chi Minh. It starts with these words. All men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain... I mean, this is a document that has global significance. You make a, a controversial argument that the cause of the Civil War was not states' rights. It was slavery. Right. That's not controversial. <laughs> it's controversial among people who don't really understand the thing. And I don't mean that in a paternalistic way. If you took a thousand American historians who studied the 19th century and said, what's the cause of the Civil War? 999 of them would say slavery was the cause of the Civil War. This, when people say states' rights, it drives historians crazy because we've been teaching this for decades now. It's in all of the books we write. It's in all the lectures we give. It's in all the presentations. It's about slavery. Or if you want to get particularly, say it is about states' rights. It's about a single state's right to own people as property. That's what it's fundamentally about. If I was a doctor and I was talking to a one-day university or group and I said, you all know what to do when you get the flu, right? And I turn to the audience and everybody says, bleeding, you know, <laughs> cut and bleed people. That's, what, that's, that's the solution to, it's, it's the equivalent where I say to people, you know what the cause of the Civil War was? And they say, states' rights. It's like, no, that's an oversimplified. And it's also a self-serving story for, that we know, the reason that is a popular idea is that it was made popular after the Civil War by people who wanted to change the meaning of the Civil War and change what it was all about. So it's not just an accident that people say it. It's actually a successful job done by people in the decades after the Civil War to change the narrative. Another thing which is far from obvious and fascinating in your lecture is when you talk about America's attitude towards the military, which yeah. has changed hugely, mm -hmm. um, over, even in recent decades. Yeah, I think that's a, that is another good example of the surprises when you tell people. So, you know, up until the 1950s, it was absolutely understood that we had to have a tiny military. The founding fathers did not believe in a strong military. What did the founding fathers believe in? Almost no military, because they understood things very clearly. They said, looking at world history, how do you get a Caesar later on? How do you get a Napoleon? They're generals. They have an army. And when you have a huge army, you have a huge base of power that is going to be abused. So in our Republican playbook, we always said small, small, small military. Build it up, tear it down, build it up, tear it down, build it up. World War II, we begin tearing it down, the biggest war ever. And in 1950, five years after the war, the Korean War begins, we re-engage and we never stop. That's when we get two million soldiers and 600 ships. That's, that's only 70 years ago. That's a new thing. And they looked back to Roman history. They, they had clear, vivid examples in their minds of that's what it's supposed to be. And think about when George Washington, his, his ideal that he followed was of Cincinnatus, the citizen soldier. He put down his plow, go off and fight a war, and immediately leave back to civilian life. And then he gets called into the presidency, and he serves two terms, and he says, I'm out of here because we can't have you know, perpetual government by one person, particularly one person with a military background. What is the single biggest misconception that people have about American history or about a moment in American history, mm. which in their view is completely different from the reality? This is a big, big question. So I think probably the notion that uh, the founders created something that was perfect and that it, we just need to figure out what they had in mind. And that's a really comforting idea. Originalism is a really comforting, wonderful idea, but it's, it's divorced from reality. 
the founders themselves always use my favorite expression in studying history, American history, is they always said this Republican experiment. They say this over and over again when you read the speeches of Jefferson, of Madison, of Lincoln. They keep saying this Republican experiment will rise or fall on the basis of this. You know, they invoke this idea. And but what do they mean by experiment? They mean it wasn't perfect. It was a it was a thing that set in motion by brilliant but fallible people, knowing that it was not perfect and that it would have to be adjusted and that it would move through time. You know, the founders could never conceive of the Industrial Revolution, just to give you one example. And so th there's an understanding that through time, we are going to have to make adjustments, have to figure out what, is it, what does free speech mean in, a, in an era of mass media, which simply didn't exist in the, in the founding period. What does the Second Amendment mean in an era of mass production of firearms and much more powerful firearms? What does, you know, freedom of assembly, what do all these things mean uh, in our, you know, in the future? So the idea that the founders created something that was perfect and unchangeable and that we, all we need to do is figure out what that is, that's a great fallacy. When you're up on that stage firing people up, what's your favorite turning point to tell? Ah, oh, that's a good question. The one that gets, I think, people scratching their head the most is when I talk about what I call the, the reformulation. In the, in the late 19th century, we see all the tremendous benefits of the Industrial Revolution, but we don't have any institutions and any ways of dealing with all the downside of it and all the turmoil that this is creating. So it's creating a lot of gold and a lot of wealth and a lot of new technology, but it's also creating mass poverty and huge strikes and all kinds of problems and great concerns about the, you know, the fate of the republic. And the founders didn't, didn't give us a plan for it because they couldn't have even imagined you know, U.S. Steel. They couldn't have imagined John D. Rockefeller and, these, and this kind of world that they're building. Jefferson, Madison, Franklin, all their traditional notion of the way the politics worked was that power is the great threat to liberty. So that's why power is, is inherently evil. If people possess it, they'll abuse it. The biggest power in the world in 1780 is the state. Any government is always big. So we, as self-conscious Republican citizens, will keep our state, our, our governments, small. That's why Jefferson says, the government that governs least governs best. That's the idea, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's not about low taxes. I mean, it is about that to some degree, but it's about power. Power is inherently dangerous, so we need to keep government small so that we don't have tyranny. Well, in the progressive notion, around 1900, people are beginning to rethink this, because where is the power? Power is still the number one threat to Republican government, so that part's true, but where is the power? The President of the United States is this big compared to John D. Rockefeller, and Rockefeller is not an elected official. Rockefeller is separate from democracy separate from our Republican institutions. And so that's the, the essence of it, saying power is a problem and we need to rein in that power to save liberty, right? So the state, which we used to fear, is actually now you know, the lesser of two evils. We need to build up the state, build up the, the government to give it some powers to protect us, to protect against abuse, to protect, and also to, to work on benefiting the common good. And so people in the progressive era, but as people in the, in the Gilded Age, and these are labor leaders, these are intellectuals, these are politicians, and they're coming at it from many different angles. But by the early 20th century, there's an emerging consensus that the founders didn't give us ways of dealing with this, or specific ways, but they gave us the tools. They gave us our democracy, they gave us an amendment process, they gave us uh, ways of thinking about what is, is most important. And the progressive era sees this great advance of policies that greatly enhance the common good, greatly enhance the well-being of the average citizen, and, and they don't undo, they don't destroy industrial capitalism, they don't nationalize our steel industry, but they just rein it in a little bit, you know, put up some guardrails so that 
the, the, the capitalist engine can roar and do all the things that it does for us, but with some boundaries in some ways, which so that workers in a steel mill work eight to 10 hours, not 16 hours. They work and they earn a, a, a reasonable wage that means they can feed their family. They're not going to get rich. So there's ways in which we can do this while keeping uh, the benefits of that kind of an economy, but also creating systems and creating institutions and practices that benefit the whole. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. We're living in a time of great change now, much of which has been brought about by the revolution in technology. Mm. I know your lecture is called The Five Turning Points, but do you feel there's a sixth? unfolding right now? Well, when I do the five turning points, the fifth one is the invention of the personal computer, the dawn of the digital age. So I do emphasize this idea that we are living in a dramatic turning point moment, and we can't exactly figure out what it is, but it's clear by any measure, the unleashing of digital technology, beginning with the personal computer in the 70s, and what's that opened up, and how it's dramatically transformed our world in ways it's almost impossible to enumerate them. Your cell phone's a computer. Your, your refrigerator is now a computer. Your car has a computer. I mean, it's hard to, even imagine, hard to even see what that definition is. And so this digital revolution, not just the computer, but then when you think about expansively out into the whole universe of digital technology, the internet, and all of that, when you start stitching all that together, this is a true uh, revolution. Computer technology changes absolutely everything because it's in everything. It changes communications. If you have a children or grandchildren, you have a 14-year-old. How often does a 14-year-old talk on the phone? They don't talk on the phone. They think of talking on the phone as like writing on, with a piece of chalk on a slate. They, think, they literally will tell you, it's weird. I don't want to say, well, what are you, you going to meet up with uh, Julie? I don't know. She hasn't answered my text. Well, you know, there's another button on that phone. That you can just like push it, and, and uh, Julie's voice will come out of the end of that thing. And um, you could say, speak to her, and then she can speak back to you in like 14 seconds we can solve this whole thing so it's changed the way uh, we relate to each other 
And, and also hard to know what the impact is going to be 50 years from now, what we're going to look back and say about it. Exactly. I mean, if you, and this is true of most breakthrough technologies. When the telegraph was, was created back in the 1840s and then spread nationally, people said, this is great. We can, get, we can get crop prices and a little bit of news back and forth. And lo and behold, it, you know, it dramatically transforms our economy and our way of understanding each other. It shrinks the country in our conception of ourselves. We can find out about an outbreak of cholera in New Orleans in a, in a matter of minutes, and we can eventually send signals under the water of the Atlantic Ocean when we get a you know a telegraph cable across there in the 1860s. So it has, I mean, one great example of just to give you all human history up to the invention of the telegraph. The fastest way to deliver a message was a galloping horse. That's true in the days of Alexander. It's true in the days of George Washington and everything in between. And then the, along comes the telegraph, and you can send something instantly, you know, through time. And if you think about the War of 1812. We were trying to get, stay out of war in 1812 and finally decided that British depredations against our shipping meant we need to declare war against them. So we send a, a declaration of war across the Atlantic Ocean to them. They have already dispatched a ship with a, a list of concessions that they're going to make about scaling back their problem. So these two ships pass each other, one saying, we're going to back off. You don't need to declare war. The other ship has already, literally already sailed as far as that goes. Saying we've declared yeah. war. Yeah. And at the back end of the, the War of 1812, the same thing happens. Andrew Jackson wins the Battle of New Orleans after the war is literally over, but he hasn't been notified that it's over. So it's an interesting thing to see how technology has impacts and implications way beyond what we think it's going to be useful for. So what do you think people get from a live lecture that they don't get perhaps by watching a video or reading a book or looking at a website? Well, I mean, certainly there's something about the live presentation that's different from others where they can, just even how you use pauses, how you, you leave people hanging or you have ways of double reversing on something. Like if I'm talking about, you know, the 1850s and the coming of the Civil War, and I say, you know, was states' rights the cause of the Civil War? And it always causes a bit of a, you know, ruffle in the crowd. And I say, don't answer that because you're going to upset me. And ultimately, we point out that, you know, the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 was the single greatest invocation of federal power over state power to enforce slavery, to uphold and protect slavery and saying, so Southerners, you know, liked states' rights, but they only liked it some of the time. They liked federal power a lot of the time when it served their interests. So ways you can kind of, you know, you, always, you literally see people almost scratching their head, you know, when they, when they think, oh my gosh, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that, you know? What do you hope that people will take away as a result of being at your lecture? A lot of things. I think the, the operative thing is that history isn't just some interesting stuff from the past, interesting people, interesting events, properly understood and properly taught. You know, the power of history gives us insights into how we can understand our own problems in our own world. History doesn't give us lessons, per se, or a script to follow, but it does tell us how we got to where we are. You know, there's that famous quotation by James Baldwin that, you know, history isn't merely about the past. It's actually the great force of history is that it's you know, it's with us now. We all carry history with us. And so with that insight, you know, history is incredibly beneficial. It is interesting. It's fun to read about battles and read about famous people, but it's also has to have that, in, that element that speaks to us now. There are many people, and I know a few of them, who think we're screwed, who think that America is really in a rough point of mm. its history right now. One of the lessons I took away from your lecture was there have been many other perilous moments when people may have felt in similar ways to today. Well, I agree. And one of my little maxims is that history keeps you sane. 
because everybody in all kinds of different areas is always thinking, oh, the, you know, we're losing our Republican soul. We're, you know, kids today, and you know, and they're really upset about all the things that are happening in their in their society. And it's really beneficial to understand, to know history, because history tells you that people in 1970 thought the country was absolutely collapsing. People in, the, in 1933 absolutely convinced that the country was collapsing before their very eyes. That, eight, that, that was during the Depression. During the Great Depression. And people in 1861-62 said, not only not is the country metaphorically falling apart, it is literally falling apart in a civil war that is going to destroy the lives of almost a, 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 you know, a million people and untold millions in, in wealth and so forth. Uh, but Americans have found ways to weather, you know, push through those problems and devise solutions to them or, or things that ameliorate those problems. So history keeps you sane because you realize, right, that times are tough, but I have no choice. I'm living in this era. My children are going to live in this era. My grandchildren are going to live in, in this country. I need to, we need to find ways to ameliorate and, or remedy the problems that, that plague us, just like people have done in the past against great odds. Edward O'Donnell, thanks very much. All right. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening. Sign up on our website, OneDayU.com, to become a member and access over 600 full-length video lectures from the world's finest professors, presenting their very best talks, like the one you just heard. We publish new content every weekday, plus live Q&A sessions, so you can ask the professors questions yourself. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.